house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Welcome to Ireland. Once upon a time, there were two farms. The Muldoon farm, where Rosemary lived, and right down the road was my farm, where my son Anthony asked his lonely question of the stars. Why did you make me so? Rosemary Muldoon besotted with love. There's these green fields, and there's us. Whatever that is, it holds me here. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast constantly raising the circus tent for us all. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my Blarney Stone, Joe Reed. You have me laughing with raising the circus tent for us all, and doing it foolishly. Did we even say that during our water? I think we might have. I don't know if we did. We might have like we might have gotten it in after the IMDb game. I really feel like the listeners that stick around to the very end are there are all stars. They're the real ones. Yeah, at our at our wildest. I'm always impressed when somebody like brings up a thing that we mentioned at the end of the podcast. I was just like, God bless you, God bless you for for sticking through it. (laughs) We are we are entertaining bell to bell. Like we we are bringing it every ball for the entire ball so uh good for you guys for recognizing that we have post-credit scenes we have mid-credit scenes <laughs> it's true it's true you don't want to leave early you know you, you want to you want to enjoy the whole thing what if we have movie... oh shit the credits are starting we need to get this in their scenes as far as i know wild mountain time did not have a post-credit scene but honestly i might have just turned it off too soon because this this <laughs> movie had everything else with. This movie had everything else in it. Like, why wouldn't it have a post-credit scene where just Christopher Walken shows up and recruits, you know, all the leprechauns from the hills to to do something? I don't know. The ghosts actually appear. the The people that are talking to. Well, I guess. I mean, that kind of does. We'll happen get into it in the, the plot the description. That does kind of happen. Yeah. Crazy. This crazy ass movie. Here's the thing about this movie. Without well, without getting into specifics, just in t- talking about broad terms. I didn't see this movie until just yesterday slash today. Exactly um, same. And I remember, but I certainly remember like the conversation around it and t- people talking about how well it was. And I, I there was a fair amount of there was like a fair amount of fascination with the movie, which is sort of what made me want to see it but there was also a lot of people who just like hated this movie and watching this movie i'm like well it's unquestionably bad and yet i'm enjoying the experience of watching its badness i'm like i'm I'm just sort of my eyes are getting wider and wider with everything and like what is going on this whole thing is edited with a chainsaw there is no coherent story going through this john ham shows up for no earthly reason it's just (laughs) and yet like i'm like well i'm like 
I'm at least along for this insane dumb ride. You know what I mean? Like there was Oh yeah, it's total smooth brain, but yeah, like yeah. I enjoyed the vibe. But what a weird vibe. Like weird vibe, not a good movie, but no, like no. okay. And and I'm not the first one to say this. This movie isn't not not Moonstruck. It's not not John Patrick Shanley sure. trying to basically end a movie in the same way. Where it's like, happy romantic conclusion, let's think about their, not their descendants, but their... uh, Ancestors? Ancestors, you know? Like, the people that came before them, the romances that came before before them, that formed them. Uh, Which always makes me cry in Moonstruck. I always cry at the ending of Moonstruck. But this is just kind of, like, silly and hokey and cheesy. This movie doesn't have a a firm enough grasp on what on how exactly it wants to be whimsical so it just sort of gets away from itself which is crazy because this is John Patrick Shanley adapting his own stage play so like he had a while to like refine this and and doesn't ever do it but to sort of you bring up moonstruck and i think that's important because to to sort of table set for this movie so this movie comes out in december of 2020 it was uh, part of our class of 2020 episode uh, for it's our the, first class of 2020. We promised. Movie. I basically promised, and I'm forced you to abide by my promise that this would be our first uh, uh, 2020 movie that we covered. So we're breaking. Well, and as of that. airing, we are on the other side of the Oscar ceremony, right. which means we can uh, break the seal on this year. Can you believe Amy Schumer said that thing? I can't believe she got in trouble for that. Um, oh my god, that really disappointing winner! Everyone was so mad. Uh, I know. Uh, I can't believe that they, you know, did that time wasting thing when they couldn't when they couldn't present all the awards. I'm 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 furious. All right. Um, all of that's going to happen. Everything we've predicted will be true. Yes. Okay. Um, but so this movie comes out in December of 2020. So like we're a good nine months into the pandemic. And one of the, we've talked about this before. One of the great pandemic totems was that like three month period where everybody watched Moonstruck and some people were watching it again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were discovering it for the first time. Like Moonstruck was like, kind of should have won best picture for 2020 because it was it was <laughs> it the really movie of the year it was the film of the year and so watching then people have to reckon with wild mountain time and being like this is the same guy who wrote moonstruck and like so many of the reviews were really trying to wrestle with like i can't believe this is the same guy i liked moonstruck so much what does that say about me that I liked a movie so much by the guy who delivered this? And there was a lot of like existential <laughs> angst that I don't think would have been there if we were not in that specific period of time. Well, if we weren't in that specific period of time, people wouldn't have watched this movie. <laughs> well, probably true. Where did it come there, Where- There's so much to like this movie that I think that is like. You know, we were A, starved for a lot of things, but I think the Oscar race was also specifically starved for, like, product. To the point that the, like, eventual Oscar nominees is a very few assortment of movies. And it's a lot of movies that in other years probably wouldn't have done as well as they did. Well, and Um, we can only really talk about this movie for this podcast because it had pretty specifically Golden Globes buzz. A lot of people were were sort of anticipating Golden Globe nominations for Dornan and or Emily Blunt in the 
musical or comedy categories, which is funny because this is neither a musical nor a comedy. Like, this is... I think it thinks it's a comedy. I think people think it's a comedy because they laughed at it. But I think that's not the same thing <laughs> as it being a comedy. It's, I mean, there are there are whimsical moments to it, but I I don't know. I think I'm trying to like figure out like what were the things that were meant to be funny, and I'm not entirely sure when I think. About I mean, it I do kind of think it wants to do for Irish people what Moonstruck yes. did with yes. Italian people. The However, John Patrick Patrick like a Shanley, big pizza pie and. and <laughs> In, in between the rolling heather. Like, yes, basically. Yeah. I mean, it has a hot guy. It does. It has two weird. hot guys, actually. <laughs> um, um, yeah. It has a, a female lead with a wild mane of hair. Well, it has a astoundingly beautiful female lead who is presented as if she's been like scrubbing floors for the entirety of her life you know what i mean and just like and at least in moonstruck we get the great sort of glow up right where you know loretta uh uh, gets her makeover and whatnot and in this she doesn't really and it's not like i'm going through this going like you know she needs a makeover it's because one of the problems of this movie is Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan still very much look like Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan. So you're watching this movie and being like, just realize that you're both wildly beautiful and get together. You're the two most beautiful people in this entire county, perhaps country. Like, just <laughs> like your people need you at this point to do the right I thing. I almost had an issue with their beauty, though, because they were yeah. conceivable brother and sister. <laughs> and like... The relationship of these characters that they've, like, known each other since childhood, I had to constantly remind myself. And, like, living in the same house, like, I had to remind myself they are not brother and sister. Their farms were touching each other growing up. And and so that feels like that in some way like a euphemism. That's what I mean. It was sort of just like they grew up, like, essentially living in the same, uh, on the same property as uh, not actual relatives, but, like, Kissing cousins, no pun intended, because there was no kissing until the same property the that the movie reminds us several times. They don't know how big it is. No, nobody knows how big it is. She has no idea what an acre is. Like they have no. This scene. is how you know they're pure people because they don't know the acreage they own. It's just their land. They but just they also, feel the land. But they also don't seem to have a whole ton of interest in the actual act of farming. Either. You know what I mean? Like, they seem to not really want to do that either. So, like, there's just these these two, especially him, sort of take aloofness to the next level. And she's not aloof. She's, like, steely determination to, like, have this guy fall in love with her. And he is, like, looking at the ground with his metal detector and talking to the bees and, you know, rowing his little rowboat around and hearing voices and... He's Jamie Dornan just wandering fields with his metal detector. Huge hears me energy. No thoughts, just bees. Like that is Jamie Dornan in this Not movie. Not the bees. Not the bees. We'll de- we'll we'll definitely I will say we'll get into it and yet will we because what is like I, I Yeah, do... the big like this movie is crazy. Blah 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 that like there was a ton of pieces about it and it's like it's a line in the movie. It's which, so like, tossed off. It is not examined at all it is like lingered on for half a second and it's one of those things where literally like if you're watching this movie at home and you're checking your phone you could conceivably miss it 
And if you don't, then you're just sort of like, I'm sorry, what now? Like, what are we saying? And the fact that the movie seems to just sort of accept it at face value, I don't know. It's the wild. Well, it Rosemary is the wild. accepts it at face value, which right. is like, there's something about that that I actually found kind of sweet. And sure. Like, yes, but I agree. It's it's less wild that it happens because I'm like, oh, this is about a romance between two furries who aren't furries. <laughs> yes, I mean, kind of. Yeah, it's something like that, you know. But like, it 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 is wilder that the movie just like doesn't examine it. Um, yes, or like unpack it really, and you get like the most you get of that is the visual callback to them when they're children and he's sniffing flowers. Right. We'll, right. We'll we'll get into it. Yes, they do call back to that. But also, that moment even, I was expecting to have, like, a radioactive honeybee sort of emerge from the flower and, like, sting him or something. (laughs) He's Spider-Man, but for bees. Right. Doesn't Spider-Man have a character like that? Spider-Man, but for bees? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know Spider-Man lore well enough, but, like, it's very possible. The Thomas Hayden Church character wears a striped sweater. Maybe you're thinking of that. Um, Thomas Hayden Church is sand. But he's made of sand. He's made of. Is there a hornet? Is there a hornet character? There might be. There might be. Here's the other thing. So by the time this episode premieres, Bridgerton season two will have premiered, and I've watched the screeners for the first few episodes. And Bridgerton season two also has a wildly more prominent than you expect. B situation going on. So I'm like, what is going on on the British Irish Isles that like that little corner of the world is being beset by plot intensive bees in a way that I'm just not really sure what what is happening. So it's been a very bee centric uh, weekend for me. Now you have to go watch B movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, the I Wicker fucking Man. hate bees. Like, here's the other thing. And mostly when I say I hate bees, I mostly mean that I hate yellow jackets, which I know are not bees. They are hornets. But I fucking hate them. And I've only can... been stung by a bee once, and it took, like, a Same, but that's leg. all that it took. That's... I don't need it... I don't need it to happen a second time. They're terrifying. Anyway. Anyway, well, I can't believe a little bit that we're approaching this episode with such a plum given the Oscar race we're talking about. The movie year we are talking about. Why? Explain. Talk. Go. go, It's uh, the first COVID year. Oh, yes. Then we're talking about the most whimsical, sort of like oddly (laughs) divorced from reality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're talking now. We're talking about the uh, the COVID one. uh, And but it also kind of makes sense because a lot of. I mean, it's always going to seem a little bit strange that Nomadland won Best Picture in the first COVID year because it was neither um, speaking on the issues. I mean, I guess tangentially in, in, in the fact that, like, economic inequality touches everything. But, like, it's not like right. a COVID movie. And yet it's also very much not an escapist movie, which was the thing that we, I think, were mostly looking towards for that. And it's funny that the big major movies of 2020 for the Oscars were, like, economic inequality, um, social sexual, justice, sexual revenge, uh, dementia... What are the, you know what I mean? It's just like everything is just like heavy in its own interesting way. 
in the and I'm not saying that those are bad movies. I generally thought the best picture lineup last year was pretty good, but the most whimsical entrant in last year's best picture race was Mank. Mank? I was gonna say <laughs> yes. It was Mank was the like the lighthearted movie of that best picture lineup. It's love that Mank. Wild. I love Mank. You know I love Mank. I um, do know you love Mank. Oh, love that Mank. All right. Yes. I'm kind of excited to talk about this this movie, Wild Mountain Time, where we we're, haven't even gotten into, and we shouldn't until after the plot description, the Deborah Messing of it all. The fact that this is... And I that had was, to rewatch this. It was, it was well into the Wild Mountain Time discussion before I found out that this was an adaptation of Outside Mullingar, which is uh, John Patrick Shanley's own play, that I did not see, but I was aware of during that time, that sort of 2014 Tony Awards season. It was nominated for Best Play. It was not nominated for Best Actress in a Play. Deborah Messing was not very well-reviewed, I will say, for her performance. I have questions. Namely, have the people of Ireland seen what Deborah Messing has done to I think they did, because they hated it. They, like... Savage I know that they hated right. the movie, and this movie got a lot no, of blowback that we'll talk about. Oh, they hated no, the play? Yeah, I, there was at least one review in the like Irish Times or whatever like that that was just like a like an absolute travesty. It just and a lot of the reviews for Wild Mountain Time talked about how the accents were bad, which ain't nothing compared to what the accents were. And like outside Mullinger is Deborah Messing. And then it's Brienne F. Oberyn, who is like a very good actor and who, you know, does is not actually have, Irish, I believe. Right. Does not have accent issues. Well, as is Jamie Dornan, like Jamie Dornan was fine in this. And I thought Emily Blunt I think was Jamie like, Jamie Dornan's kind of good in this. I think when people talked about how bad the accents were in Wild Mountain Time, they were mostly talking about Christopher Walken, which, fair. Because the movie does open with his voiceover. And it took me half a second to realize who it was. And then I literally just wrote down, not Irish Christopher Walken, in, like, the (laughs) capitaliest letters possible. No, the first thing that I wrote... I got it from the first sentence out of his uh, disembodied mouth. And I was like, no. It's so odd because it is, it's one of those things, you know how um, in like The Exorcist or or Exorcism of Emily Rose or whatever, I think it is in Exorcism of Emily Rose that they talk about how the thing where possessed people seem to speak two voices at the same time, like they're like, (laughs) their vocal cords are projecting two simultaneous voices. And... That's what one this of them is, is forward, like, one is speaking backwards. Well, what, and one of them is like, it's the Christopher Walken accent, which is like very specific. Like nobody talks like this guy does. And then it's the Irish accent and they're both happening at the same time. And it's the most unusual sonic experience. And so when people talked about how bad the accents were, they were pretty much just talking about him, I feel like. And then in, uh, in Outside Mollingar, they're just talking about Deborah Messing, whose accent is... Benooners. It's so weird. It's so strenuous. I don't know. Is the only is the only apparently Shanley made a statement that's like, well, if they sounded like real Irish people, no one in the world would be able to see it, and we're trying to reach a global audience. Which a, lol. B, what? Also, like Martin McDonough plays do really, really well, and those are like you know, like oh yeah, the the chapel of of, you know, 
Inishbrog or whatever. It's just like all of this, just like incredibly heavily Irish. The stuff. homestead like, of Marlborougshire. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. Um, Killarney Town. Yes. So, and I again. Here's the other thing, and I don't know. You may very well have a very different lived experience than me, but like this movie um, repeats the song uh, "Will You Go, Lassie Go," the Wild Mountain Time song. Um, multiple times. And every single time they did, I kind of just like sighed deeply and sank into my seat because Irish music really, You have Irish blood in your veins. It's I it's, do, and 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 culturally, like reaction. this is sort of like where I grew up. Like I grew up among this stuff. And like this time of year, especially we're recording this like only a couple days after St. Patrick's Day, which is, I will say, a deeply annoying holiday, and yet Yes. Some of my, not all of my experience, a lot of my experience of St. Patrick's Day was everybody's experience, which is going to bars and everybody's annoying and I hate it. But there were also certain St. Patrick's Days where, like, like my grandparents, who, like, their house was sort of adjacent to, like, their street perpendicular to the main road where the Irish Center was, so the, the, the South Buffalo Irish Center. And so they, every year on St. Patrick's Day, would go to the Irish Center and they would eat their corned beef dinner and they would listen to Irish music, and they would uh, watch the Irish dancers, and and they weren't even that Irish. Like, my grandfather was, like, fully, like, first-generation Scotland, and my grandmother was, like, part Irish and part other things. But culturally, we were all in this very Irish sort of enclave growing up, so that was just sort of, like, what you did. And so, like, there were certain St. Patrick's Days where I would go around and, like, bop into the Irish Center and see my grandparents and bop into this other pub in this other part of town and just, like, you know, see other, my friends' relatives and whatever. And it was this weirdly, like, kind of old-fashioned way to celebrate the holiday. And there would be, like, a parade and we would go to the parade. And then it would become, you know, belligerent drunks until 2 a.m. and it would be annoying. But, you know, um, so there is Random frat boys who are not actually Irish. See, I have Irish blood in me. But yeah. uh, it's like Kentucky Irish, so it's different. Mm. Like, it doesn't quite hit me in sure. that way. And sure. I don't think it's that closely, you know, related to... Um, uh, d- like, your grandparent was a Scottish Im- immigrant, like you said. Yes. And, like, I guess for me, I feel it in, like, Irish music and Irish dancing um, in Titanic. <laughs> yeah well that's sort of like very Something similar else going to on that there. kind of like it's, it's similar to that in just sort of like that i mean like i guess like the music and the dancing and whatnot but like the, especially like songs like this that are just sort of like you know sort of sad and beautiful and i'm just like oh wow like that's you know and then some of it's whiskey in the jar and whatever and that's fun too but uh and it's it's two different songs but they're different song like all, all of those sad little Irish songs are the, the same song. Yes, yeah, basically. Um, the sad, there's your sad Irish song, and then there's your feisty Irish song, and like those are yes. like those are your genres. Yes, uh, both equally fun. And um, anyway, so yes, this is, this movie is about a sad Irish song and a feisty Irish song falling, falling in love. In love. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it's true. It's odd. that's that's a great way to put it. Uh, also, right. before we get into the plot description, yes. can we talk about how long into the season did we realize that it was Wild Mountain Time, as in the herb? The herb. 
Yes. Not T I M E, but I had seen the title written out, so like I sort of got spoiled that way. And like there was also the second wave of that where it's like, okay, wait, it's not intentionally a pun. No. It is the song. It's the song. <laughs> right. Like there is no no one's having a wild mountain time in this movie whatsoever. Like Boy, yeah. boy, boy. The wild mountain time. <laughs> Which you had tweeted during the time of this movie, uh-huh. and I had forgotten about that because I had intended to bring that up. Yeah. I mean, how can we not? Us, especially, how could we not? It's a wild mountain time, son. Uh, yeah. It's wild mountain time, son. Weird movie. Weird movie. Yeah. Yeah. Movie about bees, love, and Metal the homeland. Yeah. Joe, exactly. would you like to uh, give us a 60-second plot description of Wild Mountain Time? Yes and no. Uh, I can't guarantee. <laughs> I was saying before we started to record, this is another one of those plot descriptions that could end up being 30 seconds, that could end up being 190 seconds. Who knows? Genuinely, who knows where I'm going to go with this. But all right. Let we'll me assuage there. your fears by giving a little boilerplate yes. before we uh, get into your plot description. Once again, listeners, we are here talking about Wild Mountain Time, directed and written by John Patrick Shanley, based on his play Outside Mullingar, starring Emily Blunt, Jamie Dornan, John Hamm, we'll get into it, Christopher Walken, Deirdre Malloy, Don Witcherly, and Danielle Ryan. The movie uh, opened in whatever theaters were open. I was going to say. Uh, December 11th, uh, 2020. It was mostly a premium vod thing that's how most people saw it who did see i it. looked it up and it was like 400 theaters where genuinely i mean where? not in new york and la certainly because not because no, they stayed not. i i know that there were theaters open here at that time yeah all right you did not, did see not go it in the theater yeah <laughs> no i didn't go until i was vaccinated yeah 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 anyway, anyway. joseph yes are you ready sure All right, your 60-second plot description for Wild Mountain Time starts now. All right, buzz, buzz, Jamie Dornan Hive. We are eating, honey. Where to even begin? Okay, so Rosemary Muldoon and Anthony Riley have lived on adjacent farms in Ireland their whole lives, and she's been in love with him at least that long with the hearty determination of a woman who has never smiled once in her life and who (laughs) believes she's the white swan. But can she play the black swan? Only the Samuel J. Friedman theater for some reason. Anyway, Rosemary being in love with Anthony would be great if Anthony were not pathologically aloof and forever puttering across the lush greenery with a metal detector seconds. and taking to vo- talking to voices that he hears. His dad, played by Christopher Walken, talking like we're all after his lucky charms, will only pass the farm to Anthony <laughs> if he finds a wife, which good luck can find a woman willing to marry that preternaturally gorgeous hunk of doofus. Walken even calls in Anthony's American cousin, played by John Everloving Ham, to come have a look at the farm and considers leaving it to <laughs> him. Seconds. And then Walken dies of old alcoholism, and Ham invites Rosemary to New York City to not see the Lion King, and she returns to Ireland and is like, Anthony, will you quit walking around those green rolling hills with your metal detector like a lunatic and marry me already? John Ham's on the world's longest Aer Lingus flight and once he lands he's gonna propose to me. And Anthony is like, but I'm a honeybee for real. And Rosemary's like, that's cool baby, I'm the white swan. And then they do get married and sing pretty Irish songs and John Ham marries a hot lady from the airplane and the end. And the ghosts show up. And the ghosts show up. Here's the other thing. This movie ends exactly the same way as Eurovision Song Contest, except nobody <laughs> yells at them to sing Ya Ya Ding Dong. And yet, 
If you told me that the major plot events of Wild Mountain Time were spurred on by mischievous elves living in little houses in the hills, like, it would make all the sense in the world. Yeah, I just had to let you keep going, and I apologize. I was laughing for the jump of that. I'm very proud of you. I couldn't hear any of your, uh, your, your time calls i have tears streaming down my face um what a weird movie what a okay can we talk okay i was ready to be like the movie's not that weird it's fine and (laughs) through that i'm like no that's stupid this is a crazy movie only like two percent of the population is gonna care that it makes no sense that there is a ballet happening at samuel j friedman theater but i literally was like and i know that like the Friedman is where Outside Mollinger played, so I'm sure it was like a you know a nice little wink to the theater that uh, that I didn't catch that that's what the theater was. I was just like, like a this big is a small theater for him to take her to a ballet. There's a big like, honking establishing shot of it, Chris. Like it's just like for like five whole seconds, it's like the outside of the Friedman, and I'm like, no. the Friedman doesn't show ballets. The Friedman shows plays about Upper West Side families who are yelling at each other. So like, I guess Manhattan Theater Club is doing Swan Lake this season. Apparently, apparently. Apparently. Um, I love that, like, on top of everything else, wild and operatic in this movie, there's a Swan Lake thing. Also, again, this is a, a, feels like a Moonstruck callback. That, you know. Yes, because he she goes to a theater and yes. has an emotionally transportive experience. Though, okay, him, I, it just had one of those guffaws when he's like, I could take you to the Lion King. And I immediately was like, because this is a John Hamm character. Yeah. How many women has he taken to see the Lion King? <laughs> like, that's his thing. That's, like, got to be, like, yes. basically a pickup line. Well, also, it's like, it's like John Hamm, another, like, insanely handsome person who is rich enough to, like, drive a Rolls Royce into a, like, farm in Ireland or whatever. Like, clearly... He's doing okay financially, and yet he's also single but looking for a wife and has to, like, fly to Ireland to find one, which is, like, deeply weird. Like, marry one of the, like, 1,200 women falling at your feet back in New York City. Like, I don't quite understand. But, no, he must have the, like unimpressed Irish lady who never smiles, who... It's because they keep taking him... He keeps taking them to the Lion King. (laughs) The Lion King isn't exactly Boner City. She has no interest in seeing the Lion King. It's very funny. She has no interest in knowing what an acre is or seeing the Lion King. That is basically... Uh, her stonewalling him. He when he shows up, you? he also takes you completely out of the fantasy of this movie because it's like everything right. is this sort of like like first of all, this movie begins and this is another thing that I texted you with. I said helicopter shots, even though I knew it was drones, but like in Lord of the Rings, it is helicopter shots. But like it starts like the Fellowship of the Ring, where it's just these like rolling and like like sweeping over shots of like the hills and the coastline and the country and everything's pastoral and beautiful and look at this land. And yada yada yada, and it really does look like Peter Jackson just like just soaring over the hills of New Zealand, except it's Ireland. And so that at least to me sets the vibe for this movie with like it is it's not it's not not magical realism. It's not not sort of like Irish Blarney, you know what I mean? Where it's just like mm-hmm. everything is plausibly the work of, you know, fairies and leprechauns, and that's great. Which isn't unlike Shanley. Like, Shanley kind of got redefined by doubt. But, like, this is the man who made Joe versus the volcano. Right, exactly, exactly. No, his filmography is really interesting. We'll get into it. But then Ham really, like, punctures that in a way that I'm not sure the movie intends. 
Right, like you crack open a Blarney stone and there's a slab of granite in there. Like his whole vibe is very terrestrial, very... I know he's supposed to play the American who's like, you know, the the fly in the ointment of everything that's going on here, but I don't think he's supposed to crack the vibe of the movie so much. I'm not sure who should have played this role, but like, not somebody quite so... I don't know. There's something really He's, just I don't I I don't know. Can you help me out? Help me out. No, I think I get what you're saying because he's like He's played quintessential, like, Americana in a way in that it's, like, obviously Mad Men, but then in most of the roles that he's here in the States, it's, like, bureaucrat or, you know, politician, it would almost those type of things. It makes sense that you would think John Hamm could do it, but when he's the only American in this setting, he doesn't, uh, like, personify America in a distinct... Way. Well, he he personifies an America that doesn't seem to fit with like it would make more sense if he were like a southern gentleman or like a Texas oil man or something like that. Somebody who Or someone like slicker. Right. Like somebody who's like American but in a in an American unreal way. You know what I mean? Where he's just a little, you know, bigger and he has different energy. Like you want him to have different energy, but I think his energy is just sort of, it's a little flat for me. I don't know. Right. We're not people who think that he's a terrifically interesting no, actor. We're not. I think he was great on Mad Men. I will not take that away from him, but like that's right. And, and, and weirdly effective when they use him in movies where it's like comedic stuff. Like I think he's right. quite fun in Bridesmaids. Like I genuinely feel like he's a lot of fun in Bridesmaids. Or but, if he's just an over bastard, right? Which he's really not in this movie. And like this character is apparently not in the play. Right. So it he, yeah. does feel underdeveloped. He's and sort of clueless in his necessary. own way. Like when yes. he like when he ends up with the sort of the woman on the plane hot lady on the plane is like she sort of like runs circles around him anyway and you get the sense that he's looking for that he's looking for a woman to be smarter than him and more you know you know sort of tell him what to do and whatnot and she's seems to be the right fit for him because he'll get she'll give him shit about like snoring on the plane and whatever but like. I don't know. Also, did you notice? The shot? And like, this is not like this feels kind of cinemasins, but whatever. I laughed my ass off when they were finally they make that final cut back to Erlingus and they're getting ready to descend. And he goes, "Preparing for our descent into Ireland." I'm like, "Oh, we're landing in Ireland. We're not landing in a specific city. We're just like we have arrived at the Ireland, and here we are." It was so weird. It just contributed. It just contributed to the deep weirdness. But yeah, the movie, the end of this movie literally is Eurovision Song Contest, where they're just like, they're in the pub, and they're singing together, and their dead people are sitting in the audience, and everything's fine. Her mom's there, and his dad's there, and they had both already died, and it, it was it was wild. I don't know. This is where I'm... I, I think we can pivot to Jamie Dornan because it's like yes. three movies in a row yes. of Jamie Dornan singing, yes. two of which happen in a pub with a crowd. Yes. It's really, it's, and this was it's kind of was, uncanny. This was the first one chronologically. So we didn't know, we didn't know that this was ahead of us. And he's not some great singer, but he does commit to the bit in a way that I think right. is 
in all three of these films is charming. I I don't think he's great in Wild Mountain Time, but a lot of the reviews were like Jamie Dorn and awful. And I'm like, we hadn't really come around to the idea that he's pretty interesting. Like, or Yeah, least... like there's a really quick rebound when Barb and Star happen, yes. which like, yes. still people were kind of slow to it. And like, yeah. I actually do think he's decent in this movie i, I mean the, it, everything great. is silly so yeah. it's like yeah you know how great can he be but like mm-hmm. i do think again committing yeah. to the bit i i think he's interesting to watch in this context it's maddening to watch him because again like you you cannot help but sort of step out from it and be like you're the two most beautiful single people in this entire country like the the frustration <laughs> with these characters that they can't just get it together does overwhelm your sort of romantic sensibilities in this where like the movie wants you to be kind of swoony for the two of them and by the end of the movie you're just like oh my god just fucking get on with it because <laughs> it's it's just deeply frustrating and you know where this is going like you know where it's been going the entire time so yes we know that it's going to him confessing that he believes he's a B. Yeah. Also, <laughs> but no, we know that they're going to get together. No, but we um, well also though I did know it was leading up to him saying that he's a oh, B because yes, like I because knew we'd I had, had it spoiled for us. Right. But the thing about the B thing is I do think it was overblown because it, it, like we said it's just like kind of thrown off but like I don't know. I was expecting something stranger in that regard. But I don't know. I like Jamie Dornan in this movie. Barb and Star is the one where I'm like, maybe we can calm down a little bit. Because part of the reason why he's in that movie is like a certain limitation to his acting style. And that's why it's charming because he's right. not, you know, eloquent or like but a again, terrific performer. He commits to the bit, he he buys into it entirely. I think he's I think he knows what he's doing in that movie. A lot of people sort of felt like Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo were like, like playing with him like a Ken doll and just sort of like moving him and like grabbing him by the shoulders and be like, you go here now and whatever. And I do feel like he does have some agency in that and does know what he's doing. I agree. Doing. But you're right. They Belfast are. Belfast is, is the one that maybe. Go ahead. Go well, I was just going to say, like, I, they're. Barb and Star is playing on his sort of doofusery in a way that like Wild Mountain Time is. Belfast, how did you feel about him? You didn't really like much of anything in Belfast. No, I I don't like the movie, though I do think, like, that's the one of these three that happened in fairly rapid succession that are somewhat similar, or, like, have, like, pieces of each other in the performance. That's the one that, like, I felt, like, was more convincing of him being a potential, like, grounded, dramatic actor. Like, he has maybe the least heavy lifting to do in that movie. But, like... He's watchable, and, like, and all he, of his scenes are with Katrina Balfe, who's the best thing about the movie, agreed. so, like, agreed. that helps. But but they together, I think, are also good, and I found myself invested in their relationship, their marriage, they're yeah. trying to make the, you know, do what they need to do for the family. I did, The like, best stuff of Belfast is when it's a movie about a marriage. Like, yes, absolutely. I think that's true. And that's why the best scene in the movie is... Him singing and her dancing uh, towards the end of that movie that was entirely too short for my liking. Like that, scene yeah, it's like forty five seconds, but it's still a really good scene. And like, what's wild is like that's a scene where he Jamie Dornan sings karaoke, yes. and still Katrina Balfe uh, upstages. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. When I was doing the, I did the the blankies of blank check. Uh, a I little just bit listened, ago. and 
I brought up, I wanted to do a little, you know, nominations for choreography. And one of them that I did is just her in that. And like, I don't know if that's just her freestyling or whatnot, but like whatever, whoever was responsible for the dancing she was doing in that movie was honestly, it's, it, it is, I will admit as somebody who liked Belfast better than a lot of people who, you know, a lot of its detractors did, I will admit that it doesn't often transcend and that is a moment that is the moment in that movie that transcends and it's yeah, her agree. it's her who does it so yes belfast anyway, at this belfast. point could or could not be an oscar winner i kind of we were talking a little bit before on mike and we don't have to go too into it because again it'll be after the oscars but like i'll just be surprised if that's a movie that walks away with zero oscars and i think that means it's Branna and screenplay. On a global level, I agree. And yet, the only place it really does at this point seem to have a shot, now that Troy Kotzer has really, like, fully locked up supporting actor, because there was a part of me that was entertaining notions that Karen Hines might, you know, James Coburn his way into winning that. But, like, that was before Kotzer, the Kotzer sweep happened. And so, like, he's definitely winning. Uh, the only place Belfast seemingly can win is screenplay. And so with all of its eggs just in that one basket, I think you're right that like it seems like a movie that should walk away with one Oscar, but there are lots of ways where he doesn't win that. Yeah. I don't know. At some point, Paul Thomas Anderson's going to win an Oscar. Like, he can't... I mean, you know, as someone who likes licorice pizza, I still think that's going to be the weirdest thing for him to finally win an oscar for i mean i haven't liked the last several of his so if he had won like uh you know obviously jane campion aside if paul thomas anderson had won licorice pizza for directing over screenwriting i would feel differently and i know that some people would probably call me stupid for that but whatever well but also i feel like because when you're talking about the oscars and the entire academy is voting on this stuff so it's not just the directors voting on directors at this right point, exactly it's it's basically you're voting for what you liked best and i don't think the voting is going to make that discernment between the screenwriting of licorice pizza and the directing of it and i do just feel like at some point the uh, the academy clearly really loves paul thomas anderson they nominate him even for insane messy shit like inherent vice and so something like licorice pizza which for much as i don't really care for it definitely holds together better than something like inherent vice and to me it feels like at some point charlie kaufman won because eternal sunshine was a great movie but also because we've really liked what you've been doing for the last stretch of your career and spike jones felt similarly when spike jones won for her and so I feel like at some point, it might not be for Licorice Pizza, but at some point, Paul Thomas Anderson's going to win a screenplay Oscar. Like, that just feels like. I agree with you on that. Like, he's going, he'll be an Oscar winner at some point. And I think maybe the next time will be when people will be like, it's time. But, like, as far as the, like, Jones and Kaufman comparisons go, I do think they had a less competitive, you know, lineup that they were in. I don't know if. I, I, this could all be moot too, by the way. Yeah, I know we're <laughs> we're fully talking about the past at this point. And which what wait what would be the weirdest thing to win original screenplay? Now I got to bring up the uh, Oscar nominees because of course the Oscar nominees that I know the least off the top of my head are whatever the most recent ones are because they haven't had time to 
This was my thing about Wild Mountain Time. because, And we've had this conversation with Katie before because Katie's like this too. Where it's just like, we can remember stuff from 10 years ago better than last year. 100%. Absolutely 100%. That's why I'm always, like, whenever I'll, like, this is the time of year where I'll be, like, invited onto a podcast or whatever to talk about the Oscars. And I'm like, cool, but I better have that Wikipedia entry in front of me because, like, (laughs) there are times where I'm like who's the fifth best actor nominee this year? And I'll be like, blah, blah, blah. And it takes me an hour and a day to remember Denzel Washington. And it's just like, that's like, I don't know. It's crazy. And yet that's That's wild. But like, it makes sense. Yeah. They have not had time to like Oscar history is just, it's a matter of me going back into it and looking over these lists and like talking about it and like being dumb on Twitter and having conversations like this with you over time and over time. And it takes a while for like, you know, the, the Woody Harrelson nomination for the messenger to really sink into my brain. And there are still ones that like, I constantly forget. I will constantly be like, who was that fifth nominee in that category? And it'll be like, Oh, it was Robert Downey Jr. And Chaplin. And I'm like, yes, thank you. (laughs) See, I, the thing I think about the wild mountain time year, the 2020 slash a month or two of 2021, whatever, is that for so many reasons, it's going to be a year that is hard to remember what was there. And that's also wild because it's like you're talking about just the movies that were nominated for Best Picture for the most part. Right. Um, Apologies, by the way, if there is somebody like legitimately chainsawing or something outside my window. I don't know what's going on. This is probably getting picked up by the audio. So I can't uh, hear it. Listeners, it's not you. It's... Washington it's Heights. the bees it's not a chainsaw God, it's a swarm of not bees. the bees not the bees it's a swarm of jamie jamie dornan's coming to get you yeah oh i mean find me guilty your honor um yes anyway wait what were we talking about about uh, uh memorability of recent yes. oscar years but i'm trying to like including how we can't remember how we... the current year right, right now even though we've both been like writing about them for <laughs> right. I'm just trying to follow the trail of breadcrumbs back to uh, Wild Mountain Time. So it was Branna right. and it was Belfast. And it was Jamie, right, Jamie Dornan in this movie. Yes. So, yeah, I think the leads are fine. I think the story and here's the other thing is this movie I mentioned earlier edited like a chainsaw. But like literally there is no form to this story for like an hour and ten minutes. Like, it genuinely is just like, what is the story here? And finally, I'm like, oh, the story is that he just won't propose to her, even though, like, and it's it's formless in a way that is deeply frustrating. Yeah, like, you can tell it's adapted from a play that's probably a few scene, a few long scenes of people just like. Talking, talking and giving yes. giving the audience through conversation and like a picture of what their world is right just through like talking about it and like yeah you know the play has like four characters history. like basically like that's it like i don't even think the john ham character appears in that i think he's no. just sort of talked about well and like you talk about plays where it's like the goal is always opening it up or whatever yes. which like we could talk about doubt in that way too yes um which does it more successfully. This, it's like, it's clear that in opening up this play, it probably lost all sense of structure and like what it was on the page. Because like, I agree with you. It's 
pretty shapeless to the point where I was like, how far am I into this movie? Oh, an hour and 15 minutes. And, you know, it, it flies by, but like, I couldn't have told you at that point, anything that really happened. Yes. Or like, like I could tell you, you could talk about like the dynamics and those become pretty clear between the characters, but there's no, like nothing, nothing of substance really happens except for like, arguments with parents well and you mentioned doubt which i think is instructive in that doubt as a story is structured obviously so much better there is a clear objective at the beginning of it and she has you know insane determination to figure it out and and everything's a mounting sense of tension yes i think that movie though also when you talk about like trying to open up a play into cinematicness and that one shanley who directed that one as well um decides that it's just going to be a lot of like shots of like steeples and like dutch angles and weird just like and it showiness that doesn't really seem to communicate much of anything and felt somewhat amateurish and well this i sound like an asshole saying this but like watching that movie i think one of the problems is it feels like shanley who it's like at the time you know, people expected like a more substan, a more like uh, I don't want to say substantial. That sounds shady, but like uh, someone who we know to be a director to take it. Like people, like why isn't Mike Nichols doing this movie? Right. Um, something like well, that. Well, I know why Mike Nichols didn't do this movie, but I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, Maybe he. Uh, he it, Mike Nichols is in the final scene of this movie, singing along yeah, with Wild. It's true. Yes. Yes. Um, exactly. Um. But, like, it it sounds shady, but I do think that it's true that one of the problems with Doubt is that it feels like Shanley trying to prove that he is also a director. And, yes. like, in that, like, there's all of these, you know, like, formal displays of, like, style or whatever that don't really amount to much. And, like, I think he loses anything past the, like, obvious what the text is about. And part of the reason why doubt was such a sensation on the stage for like the timing of it is like, you know, it took this very specific story and like kind of highlighted the, the kind of broader themes about it of like, what does certainty mean? And like, we're talking about, you know, if you have certainty and conviction, but like, what is evidence and like, what is fact, you know, in a post 9-11 world, like, it like for a lot of audiences, it became a play about like invading Iraq, you know, um, yeah, that there could be broader themes than what it is necessarily explicitly about, even though it's very good at being what it's explicitly about. And it made me think that it was just a really well-directed stage production and Shanley never really had any intention for the text beyond, you know, yeah, the actual logline of it. And like, that's why the movie kind of underwhelms to me. I think you're right. I think you're, I think you're deeply on target for this. I wanted to kind of delve into Shanley's career for a second, because it is somewhat interesting, not somewhat interesting. It's quite interesting, actually. Um, obviously <laughs> he's, um, an acclaimed playwright in terms of film, 1987, he, uh, 
obviously Moonstruck looms the largest, but there's also a movie called Five Corners that he has written, directed by Tony Bill, which I should say, when we were talking about Rumor Has It, and one of the actors who was replaced was this guy Tony Bill, who I hadn't really heard of. And then I think one of our readers, uh, readers, I'm talking like Las Culturistas now, <laughs> one of our listeners. <laughs> one of the Garys. Yeah, yes, one of our Garys pointed out that uh, that Tony Bill actually has a pretty uh, long and interesting career. He had directed, among other things, the uh, Christian Slater with a baboon heart movie, Untamed Heart. So there is that. But anyway, uh, he directed this movie called, what did I say, Five Corners, with John Turturro and Jodie Foster and Tim Robbins. And then, so that's the same year as Moonstruck. Then he writes and directs uh, Joe versus the Volcano in 1990, which is a strange movie, but one I really respect for its strangeness. It is the the original Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie. It's the one that came first, before uh, Nora Ephron ever got to them. And it's so peculiar. You've seen Joe versus the Volcano, yes? Yeah, I I think it's I mean it's a it you're right to emphasize how peculiar it is. I do think the treatment it received is a little unfair. I don't Same. think it's it shouldn't have been as maligned as it no. is. It's just it's a weird movie. <laughs> it's one of those the reactions to that movie feel like they came from a future that had already seen Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail because it feels like the people who reacted strangely to that movie were expecting a Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie, even though we didn't know what a Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie was back then. But like, there's mm-hmm. this really uh, sort of imp- impressionistic's the wrong word, but um, sort of this like German industrialness to the beginning of this, where he's this sort of uh, cog in a machine in his working life or whatever. And then he finds out that he's dying by a doctor played by Robert Stack, who is being like cast perfectly for playing this like very, um, I don't know, just like odd and peculiarly like ramrod straight kind of doctor. And then decides to go off and sort of like live the rest of his life whatever remains and like Meg Ryan plays three different characters and ends up on this island where he's gonna go into the volcano and it's a whole freaking thing but it's it's weird but like if you find this movie on cable like check it out and it's always on cable it is always on cable he then writes the screenplay for the movie Alive which is um Yellow Jacket staple of my childhood fears (laughs) yes yes uh uh Uruguayan rugby team. I always want to say it's a Chilean soccer team, but it's not. It's a Uruguayan rugby team. But they crash in the Andes, and I say Yellow Jackets, but with boys, because the whole thing with this, and this was, I'm pretty sure, based on a true story. And they had to resort to eating their dead to uh, live, to stay alive. And it's really interesting sort of young cast. It's Ethan Hawke and Josh Hamilton and Vincent Spano, who, like, nobody knows who Vincent Spano is now. No Uruguayans, basically. Well, right. Uh, But back then, he had been in a bunch of things. And um, Jack Noseworthy, who was in that MTV show, Dead at 21, that 
nobody remembers but me, and that's fine. Um, Ileana Douglas is in that movie. So anyway, and Alive is one of those sort of, it came, comes out the same year as Indecent Proposal, and it feels similar to that in that like more people discussed that movie than maybe even saw it. Where it was one of right. those, like, what would you do if you were in that situation? Would you? Girl, you know? I know kids talked about it because, like, I was so terrified of that movie because <laughs> yes. it's like it had such an urban legend reputation of kids at that, or at least the kids I was around and, like, my brother torturing me with, like, the mere concept of this movie. Where right. it's like you watch it and it's like, first of all, you have to imagine yourself being, like, in a horrible plane crash. But then, like, the idea of watching people eat people like my my and my brother had gotten it in my head that this was a full zombie movie and then Whoa. when you watch alive it's like the crunchiest cgi you've ever seen and it's crunchy like it's a funny it's word pretty it's, pre- it's pretty crunchy no um, it's just it's just a funny word to use in the context of this. oh in the context of this now but then it's like it's not like you're watching i mean like you see them eating but like right it's not it's it's more like emotionally harrowing than you're watching graphic material. Yes. The next Shanley credit I am excited to talk about. Is this We're Back a Dinosaur Story? He wrote We're Back a Dinosaur Story. Which is universal. I wanna it's not it's it's not Disney. I think it's, it's not... like Universal Amblin. Oh, so was it the Don Bluth sort of cinematic universe? It is not a Don Bluth directed movie, but I no. That I think We're Back was like a troubled production, which is why I'm a little surprised that Chan Lee is the only credited screenwriter yeah. on it. Um, yes, it's Amblin Amblimation. Okay, which <laughs> feels like that's sort of the pond that Bluth had been working in. Right. Because they were sort of the ones that had sort of tried to make the move to go up against Disney. The voice cast of We're Back is deeply amazing and insane. So it's like John Goodman makes sense. Charles Fleischer, who is the voice of uh, Roger Rabbit, makes sense. Um, Martin Short, sure. Yardley Smith, the voice of Lisa Simpson, definitely. Um, Walter Cronkite. Hey, he was still alive then and an, an iconic voice. Jay Leno, Julia Child is a voice in this movie. Like, yes, she is. It's just, it's a, it's, all right. So Julia Child died. Oh, she only died in 2004. I was like, was that like the last years of her life? No, she, like, yeah, she, her death was relatively recent to Julia and Julia. I didn't even, uh, I didn't even connect that. Um, I must have not been paying close enough attention. Anyway, wild voice cast on that. And uh, yes. Okay, so after We're Back, which I've not seen. Should I see that movie? Should I Should I seek it out? I mean, I could probably tell you very little about it, but it is very aligned in my childhood to The Chipmunk, The Great Chipmunk Adventure. Sure. What is that called? The Chipmunk Adventure or The Great Chipmunk Adventure? The Great Chipmunk Adventure. I love The Great Chipmunk Adventure. They are fucking the rules, man. Great songs. Yeah. Great songs. Genuinely fantastic songs. Boys and girls of rock and roll. Yeah. What a bop. It's great. I love that. That was one where we had VA like recorded it off of the TV. Pretty sure it was probably Disney Channel that it aired on. And we recorded it off of that and just watched it absolutely constantly. Miss Miller, I mean, it's a, like a it's, genuine icon of uh, female cinema. Miss Miller. Why do I feel like we've talked about Miss Miller before? I don't know on this podcast. I don't I, know. Probably because we are the people we are. Um, yes. It 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 the the Chipmunk Adventure is like 
the fantasy world for children because they pull a prank on their babysitter so that they can basically run away from home. But they're like, first of all, we should have mentioned it during our aeronauts. I was going to say, chipettes don't belong in balloons. And yet, we already have a great movie about balloons, and it's the Chipmunk Adventure. I was going to, yeah, and not and about feminism in balloons. Like those girls gave those boys a run for their money in that balloon. Listen, they're the girls of rock and roll. I'm saying. Also, if you were gay and were watching a great Chipmunk Adventure, you were rooting for the Chipettes to beat Alvin and the Chipmunks. You were absolutely, and you were like, you wanted them to win that race around the world. That is how Mm -hmm. you knew you were a Brittany, a Jeanette, or an Eleanor, and we all knew which ones we were. (laughs) I was probably an Eleanor who wanted to be a Jeanette, but that's fine. Everybody has their role to play. I'm just saying. Okay, so the the villains in that movie, because like this, they're scheming these children, these Boris and Natasha. Children, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are Euro trash. All, villains, and, villains, villains in this movie are Euro trash. They're fabulous. They're fully yeah. iconic. They. They're duping these children, these chipmunk children, to go around the world and basically, smuggle like... Smuggle diamonds. Smuggle diamonds, yes. right? But is it also cocaine? No, Did I... Did I conflate this no, I think... that they're smuggling cocaine? <laughs> no, I don't think through so. Through these chipmunk children? I think it's just diamonds. I would it, love they're to just be so, They're so Euro-trashy, and the movie is so 80s that it just feels like sure. cocaine. No. Like, it was storyboarded with cocaine. Isn't... Don't they, like... like the studio said, you can't put cocaine in a kid's movie. It has to be something else. And they were like, diamonds! Don't they, like, hide the diamonds in, like, something, and then... In... Okay, so when they're going around these stops, it's basically kind of like the Amazing Race, right? Yes. Or, like, they yeah. they have to... Yes. They have to get the dolls that match the them. The dolls, but right. Then and the diamonds are Either in the inside the dolls... Yes. Or when they swap the dolls, there's diamonds. Yes. But also, it literally is just, like, they are the most sort of, like, Euro-trashy, like, the woman's got sort of, like, a Leona Helmsley face, but she's got, like, a Bond villain body, kind of. And the guy is, like, the neighbor, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's husband from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like, that sort of, like ponytail oh, but and, and like yuppie. but vincent cassell playing yes. okay right or yeah. uh or like <laughs> lambert wilson playing that character it's lambert wilson and uh wait who plays the who plays the woman uh, elizabeth debicki are your uh are your villains in that movie yeah absolutely um god justice for the great chef can we pretend that that had oscar buzz so we can cover that <laughs> Can we please? I'm pretty sure that was a huge bomb. Oh, that's too bad. That was the era where like all of these animated movies just ended up bombing. It's too bad. What a great film. Anyway. Just like We're Back a Dinosaur Story. Yes. Uh, after that, he adapts the Michael Crichton novel Congo in the like post-Jurassic Park uh, Crichton boom that happens. And that is the movie that introduced me to Laura Linney. So thank God for that. And... We love Laura uh, Linney in a hat. Uh, fun movie, actually. It's junk, but it's like, Congo is fun junk, as far as I remember. Directed by Frank Marshall, too, which is interesting. Um, Who also directed Alive. No. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So Frank Marshall uh, kept employing Shanley to adapt uh, these books that he was turning into movies. So then... Moving on up the, uh, oh, he does that TV movie live from Baghdad, the HBO movie with Michael Keaton and Helena Bonham Carter, 
which is sort of like comes out the year after 9-11 when sort of Middle East politics was very, very, uh, you know, pertinent. And then doesn't direct another feature for six years until Doubt. And that gets nominated for basically everything but Best Picture. Like that was four acting nominations, which is not easy to come by. Like as I, uh, I did that as, as a question on trivia recently and it's sort of impressed upon me that like, Oh, right. Like mostly like to be a movie that gets four acting nominations and doesn't get a best picture nomination is rare. So, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of I feels like, it. go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'd remember that movie even getting nominated for Deacons, but he didn't. No, oh, it's just the four acting nominations and screenplay. Yeah, um, and then what is this 2018 movie, The Portuguese Kid? That I do not with know. Jason Alexander. He has a what? play by that name. So did they adapt his play? Must have. Um, oh, I think this is a Broadway recording of that play, or like the 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 live from whatever oh i see and it's just listed in imdb and is not specified they need to specify that shit better um this freaked me out because in the cast it's jason alexander and then pico alexander of uh one -hmm. of the nice boys from home again and i was like are they related like i had to like quickly just like look up and make sure that they are not related because like that would be wild were that true but they are not apparently related or at least Jason Alexander is not his dad um also Sherry and A. Scott and the great Mary Testa did we talk to Patrick Vale about Mary Testa at all I guess we wouldn't have had a whole lot of opportunity to do that but we no. should have he worked with Mary Testa on uh on Oklahoma and also she rules Great Indeed, she actors. does rule. Great theater actors. Anyway, and so then that brings us right up to uh, to Wild Mountain Time. and Wild Mountain Time. It truly was a Wild Mountain Time. The other reason why this movie had Golden Globes buzz, though, like Dornan was definitely rumored to be a Golden Globe contender in actor, but Emily Blunt truly is the Golden Their Globes' favorite, child. favorite actress of her generation. She has... And I'm going to look this up if my internet would... Uh, she has five Golden Globe nominations for film. And then she won One. for Gideon's Daughter. Right. I don't remember if we've done this on previous Emily Blunt movies, but I want to quiz you on her precursor nominations. <gasps> the famously not Oscar-nominated Emily Blunt, because everyone else loves her, but... Has never the, gotten... Uh, Oscar does not. All right. Yes, quiz me. Okay, Quiz me, uh, we're just going to go in the order that uh, yes. these are on IMDb. All right. She has two BAFTA nominations. Can you name them? Is one of them for Mary Poppins Returns? Incorrect. Okay. Is one of them for The Young Victoria? Incorrect. Well, damn it. Um, well, I've, I've exhausted the uh, English icons, Julie Andrews and Queen Victoria, so... Uh, <laughs> So now I've got to move on. Um, all right. So Emily V. Blunt. She should start going by that. She didn't get nominated for Quiet Place Part 2, did she? BAFTA? No. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I, I just remember that that sort of was a late, um, a late-breaking contender for her. And I know that it was mostly SAG, but I didn't know whether it was all of them. All right. All right. All right. 
Let's if it serious. helps you, her two BAFTA nominations are a decade apart. Exactly a decade apart. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Was she nominated for um, the Devil Wears Prada? She was. Good. She deserved. What a great performance. Um, and then, so 2016 is not Into the Woods, so it's, it's Girl on the Train. It is the girl on the train. Holy mackerel. <laughs> BAFTA nominee for leading actress. Sure. Uh, we talked about that movie, but a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, she was also a rising star BAFTA nominee. For Devil Wears Did Prada. Did not win, though. Uh, the same year as Devil Wears Prada, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Critics' Choice. Yes. She is twice a nominee if you don't count their comedy and action categories right, which right, right, do right. not count so we will not count them critics choice Maybe i'll make you guess those so critics choice is essentially a snapshot of where the oscar buzz was at the moment that they nominated and so that makes me feel like mary poppins returns would be there correct because there was a moment where it really felt like we all just assumed that she was going to get nominated for that before anybody saw that movie. Um, and then the other one is that young Victoria. Yes, it okay. is. <laughs> <laughs> if I told you she was nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy once and three times in action, could you guess what those are? All right. So action is going to be... Um, uh, I will not call it Lived, I Repeat. It is Edge of Tomorrow. Correct, which she actually won for. Good. She should have been Oscar nominated for that. She was phenomenal in that. Is one of them Huntsman Winter's War? No. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Uh, Quiet Place. No. No. I guess maybe you don't consider that action then. Um, what are her action movies? Action. Action blunt. Um, These are actually two of my favorite performances of hers. Oh. Besides. Oh, Looper. Looper, which is a supporting performance. I feel like Quiet Place is more action than Looper, but okay. Um, she's quite good. At this movie. one is kind of gross to call it an action movie. The next one? Yes. Sicario. Sicario. As soon as you said gross. Which is a movie like, that Sicario. I have problems with, but, but she's, she's great. great. I love her in that, yes. And then Best Actress in a Comedy, what was she nominated for? Oh. Well, it should be Your Sister's Sister, but it's not going to be Your Sister's Sister. Um, Correct. I can't imagine it's the Jane Austen Book Club. <laughs> I just can't imagine. It's it. also some fudgery. As is it in genre or in uh, in, in genre. The, okay. Salmon fishing in the Yemen. No. Damn it. Um. So, like musical, but not comedy. Correct. Into the woods. No. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins okay. Returns. Yeah. Okay, moving along to her Golden Globe nominations. Okay. Uh, already said that she has been nominated five times, one for television for Gideon's Daughter. Can yes. you name me her five Golden Globe nominations for movies? Devil Wears Prada. Correct. Young Victoria. Correct. Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Correct. Into the Woods. Correct. And Mary Poppins Returns. Correct. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to move on to her SAG nominations, and then that'll be it for your Emily Blunt quiz. Okay. She has three nominations for SAG, including a win. 
Right. One of those is uh, is Quiet Place. Yep, that's her win. One of those is Girl on the Train. Correct. And then the third one is, oh, golly. I'm pretty sure she wasn't nominated for Devil Wears Prada and SAG, although I will be willing to be proved wrong. I'm trying to think of, like, it wasn't Salmon Fishing. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Mary Poppins. I really don't think it was Into the Woods. Um, I don't think it was Looper. I don't think it was Edge of Tomorrow. It might be Sicario. Sicario. No. Is it, Was it Devil Wears Prada? No. It was another movie that you said you don't think it was. Though. Oh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, because she was nominated twice the year that she won right. for a Place. That's right. Which is part of the probable reason that she won. Yes. That's right. I Emily Blunt. Remembered that. No Oscar nominations. All right. What do you feel? Which ones do you feel like she should have? I'm going to bring mine up. And, uh, and Devil Wears Prada. Well, definitely. Is that the only one you feel like? I mean, that's the one that I feel most firm on without, you know, looking up the rest of the years. I think that she's great in Sicario, and maybe one of the best things about it, aside from, like, the score and the cinematography, um, but I wouldn't give it to her in that year, for example. Um, I mean, yeah, I think she's great in Looper. Looper might be the one that I would put second place, Looper, but yeah, I've, I would maybe only nominate her for Devil Wars Prada. Looper, I've only ever seen one time, which is surprising because that feels like a movie that should play on cable a lot and I should watch a lot. And for whatever reason, I never see it. I don't know. It's It feels like, it weirdly feels like the forgotten Ryan Johnson movie. Which I do think that that's a hard movie to probably drop in and out of, which is why it's maybe not on cable. But you're not wrong that it seems like the type of thing that would play on cable. Also... Like, Ryan Johnson, like, bring Emily into the Knives Out diverse, please. Like, Hey, Netflix hasn't booked for another movie. You don't know what that third movie could be. It, it feels like she would be a perfect fit. All right, so Emily Blunt. What do I have for her? Um, Did you hear this rumor, apparently, that um, Kate Hudson was originally offered to Laura Dern? No. That's interesting. Right? I'm trying to think of like what kind of role would fit the two of them. I can see it. I can see it. I'm excited for Kate, though. I really, I think this yes. is a good opportunity for Kate. I think Kate Hudson could end up being the Tony Collette of that movie. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people could be the Tony Collette of that movie. All right, so... Emily Blunt was just on the outside of my nominees for uh, her performance in Sicario. As I said, I would have nominated her for Edge of Tomorrow. I think she she was one of the best performances of that year. She was so good. Um, your sister's sister, she would have been a runner-up, but like I fucking love that movie. I think it is a phenomenally good movie. Um, Devil Wears Prada. And yeah, so it's Devil Wears Prada and Edge of Tomorrow for me would be my two Emily Blunt's. I genuinely love her as an actress. I want better roles for her in a lot of ways. Right. And also, like, certain things, like, Into the Woods is a great opportunity for her that, like, was not her fault that that movie was bad. But I also, 
I don't know. Me? No, she's kind of good for Baker's wife. I don't think she's bad. She's a bad choice for Baker's wife. I think if you want to do movie Into the Woods way... with movie stars. Right. Which I don't mind the idea of doing Into the Woods with movie stars. Just do it better than the way you did it. <laughs> she's nowhere near the top of the list of that movie's problems. No, no, absolutely not. But, like, I don't need her to do Hunt- Huntsman Winter's War. I certainly don't need her to do um, uh, fucking, uh, what's it called? Tom Ford shit. Um, or no, she wasn't in that movie. movie. No. Why am I thinking she was? Who's the, who's nocturnal animals, nocturnal animals. It's Amy Adams. And then who's the other female lead in that? Uh, Isla Fisher. Well, also that anyway, maybe I'm just thinking of Amy Adams anyway. Um, like jungle cruise. I don't need her to be in. She's in Oppenheimer, which is interesting in that that cast is insane. Yeah. And I'm interested to see who sort of is able to emerge from it. Like, who gets enough of a presence in that? Like, I'm obviously curious Killian... to know what that movie's going to be, because it sounds like a boring biopic, but we know that Christopher Nolan's not just going to make a boring biopic at this exactly. point in his career. Exactly. Exactly. Um... So that's such a weird cast because some of those choices I'm like fuck yeah, and then some of those I'm like like again Benny Safdie just like turned in the punch bowl for me and like <laughs> Rami Malek like why? But I'm interested. I do think that it's rad that he is finally you know giving a lead to Killian Murphy. And if you come yes. forward and say that Scarecrow is one, no, he's not. No, that's not a lead. Come on. Um, but he's not even the featured villain in that, which is too he's bad. Like 12th he's like 12th build in that movie. No, but you know, you're right. I'm super psyched that Killian Murphy is getting a lead. And that is, uh, that's great. But like, uh, super excited. So, watch the egg be on our face and the movie be called Oppenheimer. And like, the thing is, it's not about him. Right. right. You know? He like goes missing and like everybody has to like uh, figure out. Go into going. their memories to find <laughs> him and stop the bomb. Right. Um, yeah, I think Emily Blunt's sort of aughts career is more interesting than her 2010s career in a lot of ways, or at least like at some right. point it hits a wall. Although I do feel like she brings something to genre, certain genre movies that I get why she keeps getting cast in them because she's so good in something like Edge of Tomorrow or A Quiet Place where it's like, mm-hmm. so like, I, I understand, then, why you would cast her in Jungle Cruise and why even she would take a role like Jungle Cruise, even though Jungle Cruise is not worthy of her. You know what I mean? But yeah, she's performed well in genre stuff that I guess I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt. I just hope I she... do think we're talking about like her in, being good in genre. I think she would be in more interesting movies if there were more interesting comedies being made. I think that's definitely true. Which like not to like say the obvious or like the bummer thing, but it's just like we don't really have comedies that would use her comedic talent. Well, and well. we talk a lot about I th- I do and I agree with you that like this is kind of a tired subject, but talking about like only blockbusters get made anymore. Like the only movies that go into theaters, yada, yada, yada. And one of those things is that the shortfall of that is being made up on television, which is definitely true, but television does drama well, and it does limited series well, and it does comedy well, but not for the kinds of comedies that would have been 
film comedies. You know what I mean? Like we haven't right. been able to sort of make the kinds of like five year engagement movies or your sister's sister or the devil wears Prada. We haven't been able to translate that into the television realm. There are some great. I felt that a little bit with somebody somewhere, but that's very, very specific. Yes. Um, Yeah. Somebody somewhere. You don't have Emily Blunt in a show like that, but. Right. Well, and also I don't want Emily Blunt to do television. I want her to still keep doing movies. (laughs) But yeah, somebody somewhere does fit in the realm of like a Lynn Shelton, your sister's sister kind of a thing. So like that does, that does track actually. Uh, Somebody somewhere is the television equivalent of something that you saw at Sundance and loved. Right. And I know people, a lot of people see Sundance as an epithet. I don't. So like that is not me shading that show. I think that show is perfect and wonderful. And it's just very indie. It's just something that's like really, really indie. In a very great I found way. it a little more soothing than that, even. Like, I, I, See, I, find I, I make it sound like soothing. this is some type of candle TV show. That it's like, like, I keep calling it like a calming, wonderful, soothing show. But it's like, it's, and like, it also sounds like an epithet to be like, it's a nice show. But like, no, genuinely, I think there's like nothing like it on TV right now. It explores relationships in a way that makes sort of small kindnesses really compelling. There's that moment in, I want to say it was the season finale, where Jeff Hiller's character in the middle of the sort of, what is it, a gift shop, candle shop, whatever the sister owns, Mm -hmm. and he starts to, like, mediate this dispute and brings into it his essentially experience doing ministry that Mm -hmm. was so, and I didn't really see it coming until it was happening, and it was so touching to me, and I do not find, like, I have a real particular relationship with religion that I do not tend to sentimentalize religion. And yet I found that so moving and so yeah. really well done. Oh God, what a great show. Yeah. I feel like that shows uh, a relationship with religion is actually very, very interesting. Really great. Um, yeah. Like a, like a, a one of its best aspects, actually we yeah. should get back in. But it's not a show time. about that. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, Watch Somebody Somewhere. It's on HBO. Yeah. Uh, and probably HBO. It's all streaming on HBO Max. Go Y'all know it. I love friendship cinema. It is friendship television. Oh, it sure is. Um, we haven't talked about Wild Mountain Time for a while, though. We should probably turn okay. back to it. <laughs> what else, though? I'm trying to look into my notes and I see mean, if I there's anything I mean, I feel like we, we got it. We yeah. got it. Christopher Walken, the less said, the better. Um, yeah. There's that weird, really odd scene where he's essentially being like, well, I'll be dying tonight. And he and Dornan sort of have this, you know, coming to grips. And I don't think it's a well-done scene. It is not sort of prepared for well enough in the way that this movie is structured. Again, the structure of this movie fails it a lot. And yet, Yeah, I was going to say, like, the the structure of the movie, the movie doesn't change when this significant character dies. Like, you normally feel like a shift in a movie yes. when something like that happens. It's not in this movie. And yet, like, wh- while it is happening, of course, I'm, like, reacting to it because, like, any scene in a movie of a parent dying is going to, like, absolutely destroy me. But, um... That was just odd. It was, I don't know, and it, and it, you know, no pun intended, blunts the impact of Walken's character in that whole movie. Um, Emily Blunt with a pipe is great, and, you know, that should be in more things. <laughs> I will always enjoy Emily Blunt with a pipe. 
Um, John Hamm has this one line, back to the Hamm thing. He says, I'm all about numbers. I manage money for a living, which is like the flattest way of like describing a character where it's just like, how do we tell the audience that he uh, is is good with numbers, but not with people? And it's like, I am good with numbers. I manage money for a living. And it's like, oh, my God, like, I don't know. Unsubtle. Unsubtle. That's also in the context of I know we mentioned this. But, like, I can't stress to you enough how annoying it was to me in the movie. It's in the context of, we don't know how many acres are on our farm. And he's like, but how can you not know this? And it's like, you're, yeah, yeah. he's just, yeah. <laughs> like, crunchily written as... I also, we talked about Deborah Messing. We should mention specifically, there is a clip on YouTube of, it's essentially just, like, an excerpt from Outside Mullingar. I'll put it on the Tumblr page. Please do, because there are, and a lot of the the scene that they include in it is reproduced pretty faithfully in uh, in Wild Mountain Time. What would you do, put me in the shop window? Like one of those Euro floozies in Amsterdam? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Amsterdam? Amsterdam, you know what I'm talking about. Naked women on parade in the windows of Amsterdam. We're talking about my cousin, he's a solid man. He's never even been to Amsterdam, I don't think. Oh, but you bring him here to look me over like I was a red heifer? And watching the two side by side and the way that... I mean, it's 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 a mouthful of dialogue anyway, but talking about uh, the part where... Um, uh, what is her name? The the character's Rosemary. name? Rosemary. Rosemary is like, you know, you've, you, I've known you my whole life and this is the first time I've heard about beauty. And, you know, what are you going to, you know, put me in the window and display me for your cousin like I'm a red heifer? And like, Emily Blunt says it like a person would say it. And Deborah Messing <laughs> says it like she has a mouthful of corned beef and cabbage. And it's just... It's so, it's so effortfully delivered. She, it, it, it is, it is like, I was offended on behalf of Irish people. Remember? It is like, she's sitting on a pot of gold. Like, it, 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 like, I don't know. <sighs> Remember during the whole Being the Ricardos casting where people were like, but Deborah Messing looks like Lucille Ball, so she should play because Lucille Ball. Because of one picture. And not not Nicole Kidman, who doesn't look like Lucille Ball, so clearly we want Deborah Messing instead of Nicole Kidman. I think all of those people who got caught up in that should have been forced to sit down and watch Nicole Kidman in Far and Away and Deborah Messing in Outside Mullingar <laughs> and just have them throw bad Irish accents at each other and just everybody calm down. Everybody just take some perspective. Um, the dialogue is not not gobbledygook. But no, like of she says it like it is. Yes. She emphasizes like the gobbledygook yes. of cliches yes. coming out of her and it like is, stereotypes. And, there is Guinness beef stew sort of pouring out of her mouth at any moment. It's just oh god, beauty. This is the first time I've ever heard of beauty. It's crazy. It's so insane. Oh, what a movie. 10 out of 10. All right. Um <laughs> Yeah, Should we that's move on to the IMDb game? Yeah. Let's... Oh, no, wait. We do oh. have one thing we need to mention. Yes. Uh, Wild Mountain Time. Movies for Grown Ups nominee. Yes. Okay. Best Grown Up Love Story. Okay. But also, all right, this is where 
I did a whole preview of the the M4Gs for Vulture this year and tried to handicap the awards. By the way, they're sitting on my DVR, Chris, right now, so I don't know who won last night. I got one of them spoiled for me because a, a, a zealous Gary, who I, you know, no shade, um, spoiled me on one of the awards. And that's fine. Uh, I should have watched it live, but I was watching Mark Rylance. At least there wasn't scene. a press release, or if there was, I missed it. No, I didn't get it spoiled year. to me by t- totally. press release. That I yes, other things have been uh, spoiled to me by press release. Here's the thing, though, as I'm trying to the whole thing about the M4Gs is for the acting categories, and I'm pretty sure director, you can't be nominated unless you are 50 or older. That's the cutoff. Correct. And yet, best grown up love story to Wild Mountain Time seems insane because the grown up love story you're talking about is two thirty somethings. Like early thirties, like if like if Jamie Dornan's still in his twenties, I believe it. Like that's like so. What are we doing? Like if we're... there's not there's not like older people in a relationship. Do they mean John Hamm and Hot Lady on an Airplane? I don't think so. I think what she they're... could be fifty. <laughs> How dare you? First of all, um, no, she could be hot. People in their fifties are hot. Well, yes, people in their fifties are hot. I, I she does not seem to be in her fifties to me. But what, regardless, no, probably not. But maybe they assumed it. But I think the workaround when I was because I was sort of then went back and like read the press release of their like nominees and whatnot, and they try to be like they they make it squishy where they're like people over fifty and the movies that appeal to them, and I'm like, okay, well now okay. we're just <laughs> opening the doors to like basically like anything your parents like, and it's just like okay, well that feels. I like things that are rigidly, you know, uh, I like rules. I like the fact that there are an awards <laughs> that are just for people over 50. And just, like, make that, cut that off pretty, you know, pretty tightly. And anyway, Wild Mountain Time, a fraudulent nominee in that category. Nominee lost to Supernova, a movie I did not like. Uh, the gay love story where one of them is dying between Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. I saw all the reviews for that, and nobody liked it. And I'm like, well, that was going to bum me out because I'm either going to also not like a gay love story, and that's going to bum me out, or I'm going to like it and be the one person who likes the movie everybody hates, and nobody wants that. Um, also nominated, same thing as Wild Mountain Time, Emma, again. Emma, period. They're all in their 20s. What the fuck? <laughs> Losers. Um, I mean, they were in their 20s a couple hundred years ago. Oh, Maybe they're so like, now they're in their hundreds. Yes, yes. Yes, these characters are 200 years old Well, now, now okay. All right, you've sold me. You've sold me. Also, Ordinary Love, a movie that I saw and no one else did, and did I kind of liked it. I mean, it's Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville. How are you going to lose? Yep, and she is, I believe it was breast cancer. Oh, um, that's sad. Bummer movie, but... Leslie Manville, kind of great in it. That's fun. And then, I mean, not movie fun, that I had, but no, it is not a fun movie. It's fun that there's like a movie with Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville. Like that's great, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and then this movie I had not heard about until I read these nominees called Working Man that apparently sure. was on VOD during the pandy. Talia Shire's in it. Yeah, that's fun. About a man who. They lay off everybody at a factory, but he still keeps showing up for his job. This sounds like capitalism propaganda. Well, yes, it sure does. Um, And that's supposed to be heartwarming, but maybe it's not. You know, it could also be, you know, a sad cautionary tale. It could be. I mean, the the posters and such, like, it does look sort of, you know, industrially sparse. Like, it doesn't look like it's 
The poster does not look heartwarming. What's the tagline here? Hold on a second. Tagline is, when the job ends, the real work begins. Oh, yeah, that could be, like, you know, triumph of the working spirit or something like that. I don't know. Sure. We'll see. Not we won't see. I won't see working men. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Would you like to tell our listeners what the IMDb game is? Boy, would I. Every week, listeners, we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voiceover performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. And some thyme, basil, rosemary. rosemary, parsley cardamom cilantro if you're into that no cilantro if not cilantro if you're nasty (laughs) yes essentially yes um i'm one okay the thing with cilantro where people are like you are either like genetically predisposed to like it or you think it tastes like soap i don't think it particularly tastes like soap but i also don't like it so like where do i stand where do i fit in in this culinary can i tell you a horrifying thing that happened to me yes you know how like your body chemistry changes every year or like every like seven years or something like that oh we're like all of your cells all of your cells you're you're cellularly an entirely different person than you were yes so you start liking different things you know you might have like you might develop an allergy those type of things i had a sandwich that had too much cilantro on it and i can't tell if it was too much cilantro or if i am now one of those cilantro tastes like soap people did you used to love cilantro yeah I mean, granted, I have never put as much cilantro on a Sammy as much as this one did that I ordered. I will say, you know who loves to put cilantro on something? Everybody who's ever worked at a Chipotle in their entire life. I (laughs) have never tasted cilantro as strongly as I have every single time I've ordered something from from Chipotle. They fucking love that shit. They will. Uh, see, it doesn't bother me there, but like this sandwich, and granted, it was like a pesto. I normally don't do pestos, but like, I was like, oh, this here's, is what this is. Here's like. my other consideration it though. like soap. I've never tasted soap, really. Really. Maybe it does taste like soap, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> Were you not a child who uh, swore a lot? <laughs> no, I was a I was a very good child. Um, Unfortunately, I know what to- soap tastes like. <laughs> because of that specifically? Don't cancel my parents for putting soap in my mouth. No, I find that oddly, like, that's an inter- that's quirky. I don't know. I find that quirky. Well, I'm a quirky person. Anyway, the IMDb yes. game. Uh, would you like to give or guess first? Oh, sure. Why don't I give first? All right. All right. So we have? mentioned the John Patrick Shanley uh, oeuvre, uh, the, the John Patrick Shanley filmography. By the way, we didn't mention... Uh, Lady Gaga accepting her Golden Globe win for American Horror Story and saying, I feel like I feel like I'm in that John Patrick Shanley movie, Moonstruck, which (laughs) was I just remember thinking that that was the most Lady Gaga. I'm from New York thing that like other people who are not really from New York would think that not Norman Jewison, was a Norman Jewison. Like, she's like, Norman Jewison can go fuck himself. John Patrick Shanley is a theater writer, so I will credit him with this quintessentially New York movie because I am uh, an Italian girl from New York. Um, 
Anyway. Are you giving me Lady Gaga? No, unfortunately. No, uh, one of the John Patrick Shanley movies that he did the screenplay for was Congo, I mentioned. uh, Introduction Ah. to Laura Linney, but also in that movie, playing a, a dastardly sort, is Tim Curry. So I'm going to give you Mr. Tim Curry. Why did I think we've done Tim Curry? Uh, I hope we haven't. Hold on. Have we? Hold on. Here's the thing, and I was going to say this in the lead up to mine. Shit. Okay. Give me a second. Let me find somebody else. We have done Tim Curry. Shit. We're, We're closing in on episode 200. I think we may need to do a refresh on IMDb because... It took me a long time to get to who I got to today. You and, and I are of different minds on this. I feel like we should ride it till the wheels fall off. But <laughs> and then we're like, you know, I don't know. All right, here's what picking. I will say. We're 2022 now. We have if you're going to choose somebody that we've already done, it has to be somebody uh 3 like from 2019 or earlier. Like at this point in 2019 What I was going to propose is once we've done episode 200, listeners, try to guess what episode 200 it's going to be. It's going to be a banger. Um, once we've done 200, anything episodes before 100, we can do an IMTP game again. Because it's probably also going to have updated for a lot of actors. All right. Well, this one was from before episode 50. So I'm just going to like do it because I don't want to take the time to look up anybody else. Plus, it you know was... What? Plus, it was when Richard Lawson guessed it on Evening, and we gave it to Richard, so neither one of the, us had to guess this. So, okay. I'm going to say that we can do it. There's no television. But anyway, I am of the mind that there are enough actors in the world that we could keep doing uh, original Sure, ones. sure, but sure, okay. sure, sure, anyway. sure, sure, sure. Yes, there's no television. Okay, so no it. No Pennywise. Right. Clue. Correct. Clue. Rocky Horror. Correct. Rocky Horror. Home Alone 2. No, strike one. Damn. No home Um, Is Congo on there? Yes, Congo is on All there. All right. That's like the two things I remember about Congo are Laura Linney wears a hat. Because <laughs> I love Laura Linney in a hat. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Tim Curry gets like devoured by monkeys. He gets, yes, he does. He gets fucked up. Or his like char- beaten by monkeys. His character's name is Herkimer Homolka. He is a... Uh, probably a poacher of some sort. I don't know. Uh, he uh, does not have good designs on those gorillas, but anyway. All right, okay. so you are three correct. You have one strike. I'm... Hmm. I'm a little thrown that Home Alone 2 isn't there. Is... <laughs> Tim Curry. Mr. Timothy Curry. Um, Wild Mountain Curry. He did a bunch of stuff in the 90s, and it was a lot of kids' stuff. This Nobody talks about this, even among this, like, franchise or this, like, universe, but Muppets Treasure Island. I think that's a really good guess. It is not correct, but I like that guess. Damn. All right, so your year for the remaining film, is 1990. Hmm. So pre-Home Interesting. Alone 2. But post-Clue. Huh. And it's not it. No. Although probably the same year, I would think. 
it was I'm also 1990. Sure it is 1990 it or is. 91. Yeah, 90. Um, okay. This is hard. Um, he's not a lead in this. He's a supporting character in this. Um, well. I'm going to... Dollars to Donuts, he was doing an accent. Like, like not his a... like like a like a not like a not his own accent, but not an American accent either. Was he playing like a German? No. Uh, keep going east. Russian. Yeah. Is this like a spy movie? Not specifically a spy movie, but like you're in the you're in the you know you're in the the kitty pool adjacent to the the actual pool oh it's hunt for red october it is the hunt for red october the hunt is on as the poster says that's one of those posters that has the tagline and then it has like two paragraphs of like actual plot where it's just like we're just are you caught up on drag race yes i just watched it before we started can we talk about sean iconnery wait what bosco said sean iconnery i missed that in what context did Bosco say Sean? I'm pretty sure it was in the Untucked. Oh, I haven't watched Untucked yet. That's that's why. Okay. This this week this week did a lot to take the wind out of my sails in rooting for Bosco. Same. It me out. I Same. really thought Bosco was going to go home. I also really thought whoever was going home this week was. Gonna oh, we're have like several weeks beyond. Like you don't. We, I think don't think we have to. Uh, worry about spoilers no my thing with oh no, no no i love bosco and like i think bosco's maybe like emotionally still maybe one of my favorites her and uh, her and um angeria but here's the thing is between the snatch game and then the lip syncs boss and then her runway for the lip syncs which was so similar to the runways of like the previous two she's she's narrowing herself you know what i mean She's just right. sort of like, she seemingly only does one type of lip sync, and she is now increasingly only doing one type of runway, where she her runways used to be very, you know, varied. I agree. And it's a bummer, because I really, really like Bosco, and it feels like the narrative is ramping up to Bosco really wants it the most. And I'm like, it feels like we're getting a heavier Bosco narrative just at a time where her performance is becoming less and less impressive. And it sucks, because I love her. I know. Well, I do also think there's a certain level of, like, you talk about how every season there's a narrator, like, people are always like, well, that person's the narrator. The Bosco narrator. is I the do narrator. Think Bosco. Once Cornbread left, especially. Narrator. Yes. Once Cornbread left, yeah. Bosco yeah. took over those duties. Yeah. I mean, again, this is weeks and weeks and weeks. This could, the finale could even be the week that this airs, whatever. Yeah. But, like, I ultimately think Lady Camden is winning. But for a season that has kind of a wide swath of really likable queens which is surprising given how it started i for whatever reason bosco is the one that i'm i'm drawn to i don't think lady camden is winning because up until this week her edit for the last few weeks has been very like really dismissive in a way that i'm just like oh they are like really doing her dirty and she did perform the best out of anybody in that lip sync episode she was i do a clear highlight um I also think, like, there is a real power when you have, like, the season's biggest gag in that, like, that it's has true. a lot of weight and carries you. And, like, I feel like that fall, that fake out that she did, is probably the biggest gag aside from, 
Sasha Valour's finale. But it was um, followed up by a, a, a runway critique that was literally like, well, you had your good moment last week and now you're back to being middling. And like, that's a terrible edit I don't for know. somebody. I, if you it reminds me win. a lot of Violet Tchotchke's Tartan runway, that reveal. Maybe. Maybe. In, like, the power of that gag. I guess by the time people are listening to this, we'll know whether one of us was right. I don't think she's making the finale. And I would love her to, because I I adore Lady Camden. So I think she's going to be the safest to the finale. I mean, finale is going to be Except for maybe Diabetti, because she's a villain. Yeah, see, I think Diabetti's making the finals. I do now, too. I didn't used to, but now I do, just because of how hard they're going on her narrative. All right, anyway, we've... we've, we've... Anyway, it's Joe's time (laughs) for... Once again, took me a while to get there, because there's a lot of people that we've done. I ended up going with a pun, because (laughs) who else could I give you for Wild Mountain Time than a Wild Mountain Tyne? Tyne Daly, you psychopath. Your IMDb is Tyne Daly. Tyne Daly nominated for the Tony Award in lieu of Deborah Messing that year. She was in a Terrence McNally play that I saw that was literally like, I'm a gay man and I had problems with my mother. And like, that's the play. <laughs> um, was she the mother? She was the, oh yeah. She was sure the mother. What was this play? Oh, what was it called? It was literally called Mothers and Sons. It was Mothers called I'm Sons. a Gay Man and Had Problems with My Mother. No, I'm pretty sure it was called Mothers and Sons, but hold on. In 2014. Oh, Tony Jesus Wars. Christ. It wasn't bad, even. It was just like it, but it was very, very sort of like you know, it is what it is. Um, was Tyne Daly, Tyne Daly like bark- yeah. barking on stage, like I'm never gonna have any grandchildren? It wasn't quite to the level of Mercedes Rule in um, uh, what you call it, Torch Song. Even though I loved Mercedes Rule in in the, the latest revival of Torch Song, um, it wasn't quite to that level, but it wasn't not that either. That was an interesting Tony lineup. Audra McDonald won for Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill, which I did not actually see, but she played Billie Holiday. And that was one of those, like, it's a play, but she does a lot of singing. <laughs> so, Is that the one where it's like, it was Radio City and she gets the massive standing ovation and she's sobbing because she's like, how much do these people love me that I just keep winning? Like, it's very, oh, yeah. That, that was, I think, so her, I think that was her most recent win. But anyway, Tyne Daly for Mothers and Sons, Latanya Richardson-Jackson for that most recent A Raisin in the Sun, Cherry Jones for the not most recent Glass Menagerie. That was the Glass Menagerie that was before the Sally Field Glass Menagerie. There will never be a most recent Glass Menagerie. <laughs> it's true. By the time we've recorded this and, and by the time it's airing, there will have been another Glass Menagerie. In Productions that. that are running of the Glass Menagerie are not the most recent Glass Menagerie on Broadway. <laughs> Dove Cameron who did, who as Amanda in, in the Glass Menagerie will have happened by the time. I, I think it's Amy Adams who's going to go to the Glass Menagerie in London. Absolutely. And it's just like, I'm sure. Absolutely. Listen, the Glass Menagerie industrial complex needs to be shut down. And then the fifth nominee was, of course, the great Estelle Parsons in a play called The Velocity of Autumn, which to me is the absolute apex of... <laughs> Not a real Broadway title. Mad Libs title. Like it's just, <laughs> just like it's. I can't believe it's real. Like the I velocity. Swear to God, of if that play is about anything other than a woman named Autumn who runs really fast, <laughs> get out of well, town. If it's starring Estelle Parsons, I'm going to guess that it's not about a woman who runs really fast. But um, it's just, a one woman show about a former Olympic um, relay runner. 
named Autumn. I'm going to bet it's about somebody coming to terms with something. I'll tell you that much. Okay. <laughs> so Time Daily. See, great. To television. I was going to say. So, like, Time Daily is far more famous for both her television and stage work than for film. If it's to television, it's going to be Cagney and Lacey. Correct. And Judging Amy. Correct. Okay. So two films for the great and wonderful Time Daily. I am already up a creek. I can't think of a single besides like Spider-Man Homecoming. And I don't think she's going to be in it for Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, um, you're not guessing Spider-Man Homecoming. You know what? I'm going to need the years eventually. So yes, I'll guess, I'll guess Spider-Man Homecoming. Correct. Yes. Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> That's insane and unwell. She's in one scene of that. That's amazing. Um. All right. So now I'm still no closer to getting years, but I only need one more to get a perfect score on Time Daily. Um, I feel like it's like she was probably in like a lot of like those Neil Simon movies. Um, oh wait, no, she was in. Um, speaking of Sally Field, she was Sally Field's best friend in Hello, My Name Is Doris. Is it that? She is so good in that movie. She but is. It is not that. Damn it. Okay. Um, I like her a lot in that. Tyne Daly was so good in something. What a non-statement I just made. <laughs> she, of course she's of course good she in was. that. Of course she is great in a movie called Hello, My Name, Hello, is, Doris. My name is Doris. Like, duh. All right. Um, oh, golly. What else has Tyne Daly been in? I feel like this you last... Gotta get one more wrong till I can give you the year. Ugh, all right. And it's not, it may not even be the year that helps you, but like I'll, I, I can get you there with hints, and probably not many. All right. Well, since I'm going to have no luck trying to think of anything that she was in in like the 80s or whatever, I should think of something recent. Oh, she's in, briefly, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Is it that? Yes, it is. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> well done. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> Mother effer. All right. Good. That's a good one. That's a, for for an IMDb game that you came across because of a pun. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pun you know, good. I do think she probably spends some time on a mountain. Yeah. Uh, just just with know, her metal detector I, looking for stuff. Wild. Yeah. 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 Nobody goes wild in Wild Mountain Time. Here's the thing. Not a single person. Not a single person goes wild in that movie. A person who believes that he is a bee doesn't even go wild. No, he's the most restrained one. Insane. What a movie. 10 out of 10. All right. Good job. Good episode. Good job. That's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can our listeners find more of you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I I am on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. All right, and you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please tell us how many acres are in this farm <laughs> with a nice review. Maybe five acres to be specific. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz like the buzz of a bee. Buzz, buzz. Everyone's